Welcome, everybody. We are in week two of how to get what you want. What God has impressed upon me from these chapters in Genesis that we're looking at is that God has a plan to help you, to help me, to get what we truly want. Today is the confidence you want. Dr. Judd Brewer, neuroscientist, says that our brains need certainty, that that's what activates our prefrontal cortex, our new brain. And that's what we want to activate because that's where the voice of wisdom and reason lives. But when we don't have certainty, when we lack accurate information, our prefrontal cortex, our new brain goes offline and we revert back to our old brain and we don't want to live there because that's where anxiety lives. That's where misery lives. So how do we activate our new brain and what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, back in December, we gave out a bunch of these and in person, we're giving out a whole bunch more. They're dream books. There's nothing special about them other than they look really nice and they say a church for people who don't go to church. I want to highly, highly encourage you to get a spiral notebook, some dream book, and to write in here the vision that God's put on your heart. So this is what we said last week. It's time to get serious. Showed a scene from Sully, that movie about the miracle on the Hudson. Time to get serious. If I am really serious, I am going to write down in this book about what I'm serious about. Have I taken the time to get serious enough to do what the Bible says in Habakkuk 2.2, and that is to write the vision down? It's only a dream until you write it down. Then it gets concrete. Then it gets real. This is what we want to do. We want to write it down. Now, God's put upon my heart really strongly three things for Grace Community Church in 2022. Strong faith, strong families, divine matches. And I have written them down right here. And it starts with strong faith. That's where everything begins. You can't have a strong family without strong faith. Now you might say, you might say, wait a minute, John, I know a lot of strong families and they're not people of faith. Well, wait a minute. I would encourage you to listen to the rest of this message because there is a 21st century definition of faith and then there's a biblical definition of faith. There is an ancient Near Eastern, ancient Hebrew definition of faith. And that's what we're going to dig into today. Strong faith leads to strong families. And then I just threw the divine matches in there because I am so pumped up. I really feel like God, every time I said this last week, that I do, I officiate a wedding ceremony and it's two people that met through grace. I just jump up and down inside because that's what God has put on my heart. And I get to do that absolutely all the time. So number one, it's time to get serious. And last week we said, we need power. We need power. The most powerful part of your body is your brain, according to neuroscientists. And thousands of years ago, when the Bible was written, same thing that it said. It starts with your brain. Now, number three, and today, this is what we want to talk about. Faith. What exactly is faith? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17. He says, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that's really puny. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now that's power. Faith and power. We start with faith and faith is powerful. So what exactly is faith? And here's where we get ourselves into a really big problem, isn't it? Because in our culture today, there is a lot of unfavorable messages about faith. I could have picked a million different quotes out. 
But I'll just throw a couple in here for you. First of all, from Richard Dawkins, because he's like a rock star. He was a rock star on college campuses. People just like were so thrilled with him. Let me give you just one of his quotes about faith. This is what he says. Faith is the great cop-out. Well, (laughs) we're off to a bad start right there, right? Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think. That's not good. And evaluate evidence. Now, there's a word that comes up often. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Some time ago, I sat in a conference. Actually, it was a couple years ago. And they were talking about the least likely person to go to church in the United States of America. And they just gave this person a name. They just named this person Drew because it's a young professional male living in a major urban center. Welcome to Washington, D.C. Filled with young professional males living in this massive urban center of Washington, D.C. And here's the thing about Drew. Drew like Richard Dawkins, grew up in church. Richard Dawkins was raised a Christian. Drew was raised a Christian. And the number one influencer on Drew, this young professional male, is this person. This person who has one of the leading podcasts in the world. Let me tell you what he says, then I'll tell you who it is. Let me just paraphrase some of the things that he has said about faith, particularly Christian faith, which he really hits on. Christianity has no proof. If it has proof, then we should examine the proof. And then he says, show me the studies. Show me the box of evidence. Because if you're not working with the box of evidence, if you're not working with empirical data, you're living in a weird world. Do you have some undeniable evidence that Christianity is true. That is Drew's number one influencer. He listens to that voice more than anything else. That, everybody, is Joe Rogan. Now, last week, um, in person, we showed a scene from Sully, which is really great. And in person today, we're showing Joe Rogan actually giving that clip himself. I would love for you to see these. So on the screen right now is uh, how you can sign up for the text messaging. Because what I want to begin to do is I don't want you to miss out on some of these really helpful clips that kind of put us in the headspace there. So if you would sign up for it, I will send you a text. I don't send a lot of texts, maybe two a week. Okay, I'll send you the clip so you can see some of these and we can track along together. Okay, so the very first time that the word for faith, emet, E-M-E-T is used in the entirety of the Bible is in the story of Abraham and Sarah. Now, I'd like to read this to you. And this is this is why theologians or Bible scholars will call Abraham and Sarah the father and the mother of the faith. Abrahamic monotheism. Okay, this is right here because this is the first time it's used. So let's just read it. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham, so his name's not Abraham yet. God changes that. Sarai becomes Sarah. Abraham believed the Lord. There it is. Abraham emet the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, right there, we have a strong clue at the what the ancient Hebrew word emet means. Because it was credited to him, his account was filled up with righteousness. The word righteousness means to be right with God and to be right with people. So something about his faith, his emet, made him in a right relationship with God and with other people. That is extremely important. Now, 
We read that in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham and Sarah's story began in Genesis chapter 12. There was a lot of things, a lot of really important things that happened between Genesis 12, 1 and Genesis 15, 6. Here's another way to say it. There was a lot of evidence that took place in those chapters leading up to Abraham's emet, to Sarah's emet in God. There was a lot of evidence that built up to it. So here's the first thing I really want to say strongly about the word emet, this ancient Hebrew word, because maybe a lot of this unfavorable messaging that people say, like Rogan or Dawkins, about faith happens because both people inside and outside the church have a misunderstanding. We have a 21st century understanding of faith, and what we need is an ancient Near Eastern understanding of ancient Hebrew, the word of faith. So the word emet is evidence-based. We don't think of that all. I mean, you know, growing up in church, I didn't think of that. But it's evidence-based. We get the words in English uh, out of this, and it's used all these kind of ways, right? Trust, believe, faith, faithful, true. All of those words will be translated from the one word emet in Hebrew. In all in our culture, faith has come to mean believing despite the evidence. But in the ancient Near East, the ancient Hebrew word emet meant faith means believing because of evidence. Now, maybe it is this, everybody. Maybe we're looking for evidence in all the wrong places. Like that old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. If you go looking for love in all the wrong places, that's a recipe for misery. If you go looking for evidence, as so well spoken by Rogan and Dawkins, if you go looking for evidence in the wrong places, that's a recipe for misery. And both inside and outside the church, there's going to be problems. So we got to get really clear on this. I say this all the time. I've heard it many years. We, we, all of us that speak in front of cameras or from a music stand somewhere, give a message. Okay. We talk about this because I heard it, gosh, 25 years ago, uh, when I was in a preaching class, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. So we must get clear or we're going to do damage in our relationship with God and our relationship with others if we don't get clear on this powerful, powerful thing that we call faith, okay? So in order to find the evidence, we got to look in the right place. We got to be like a really good detective. I've shared before that back in 2017, I had a vestibular problem. The problem was nobody knew I had a vestibular problem. They knew I was messed up and doctors, brilliant doctors, like detectives started looking here, looking there, says, what's this? And it wasn't that. And it's this. And it wasn't that. And that famous, that famous doctor visit I had where a doctor said to me, you need orthotics. I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. So you got to look in the right places in order to solve the problem. The same thing with faith. Look in the right places. If you needed to get cheap transportation, let's just say that you needed a cheap car so you could haul around a bunch of junk. You wouldn't go to a Ferrari dealership to find that cheap car to haul around. You are looking in the wrong place. Are we looking in the wrong place for what the ancient Hebrew word emet means? This is why emet, faith in ancient Hebrew, is so incredibly important. Because it's going to move you forward in getting what you want. Here's what this whole message is about. Here's what this whole series is about. God has a plan 
to help you get what you want. And in order to do that, you have to understand what faith is because faith is powerful and that's going to move you forward to getting what you truly want. And that is evidence-based. Now let's read the scripture, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This starts the story of Abraham and Sarah. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And boy, that surely happened today. Four billion people call Abraham the father of their faith. So that definitely happened. That came true. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make, here it comes. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Why Why are we attaching those two there? What I mean by that, what does having a great name have to do with being a blessing to other people? What's going on there? A great name, what God is saying here is, I'm going to make you into a person of superior character. Now, how is God going to do that? That is really important, has a lot to say about faith. So God has a plan for helping Abraham and Sarah to be people of superior characters who make their name great. God has the same plan for you. How does that plan unfold? Education. How do we know that? Well, let's read. Genesis 12, 6. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. Shechem is the exact physical center of the land he's in. So in other words, if it's a physical center, then what we understand from that is... This has to be central or centered to our lives. The tree of Moreh, what is that? Said it last week. That word means teacher. So Abraham is going through an education here. He's being educated. What is he being educated in? Let's keep reading. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The word appeared. It's the same word that we get the word seer from. S-E-E-R. We think of seeing something. But in ancient Hebrew, it means to hear something. That's why it means this. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, God is speaking. God is teaching. The tree of teaching. God is teaching. What is he teaching Abraham about? Well, go on. Verse number eight. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. So this is the second altar he's built. But at neither altar does he make a sacrifice. That's just really important to take note of. We'll come back to that in a later sermon, right? So now he's built two altars. There he built an altar to the Lord and called, notice this, on the name of the Lord. God is educating Abraham on who God is. He is going to make Abraham a person of superior character by educating Abraham on who God is, on the very character of God. Now we have to understand who God is because we are called to reflect Jesus Christ, reflect God Almighty. And that is what the education that he is receiving. Now, without using Google, everybody, do you know? What is the number one quoted verse in all the Bible? I, I'm talking, I'm talking about what we quote. I'm talking about what the biblical writers quote. Like, what do they just keep writing about over and over and over again? Like, what do they think should be central, central in our lives? They think it is so incredibly important that they just keep putting some version of this verse over and over and over again in the Bible. This is what's so incredibly important. Do you know what that is? 
It is Exodus 34, 6, and this is what it says. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. The biblical writers felt that that verse was the most important verse to repeat over and over again. It's all about the character of God. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. That, when spoken out loud, remember, long before the Bible was a written word, it was a spoken word. And can you imagine the people listening to this spoken word of truth and of certainty that God is loving and kind and truthful? That is activating your prefrontal cortex. That is activating the voice of reason in your life. And far too often, we are activating that old brain, the fight flight and freeze part of our brain that leads to misery. And now the spoken word of God, that there's certainty, there's certainty in what? That God is a God of loving kindness and truth, that he's gracious and compassionate. And by the way, we are called to reflect him. This is what God is leading us towards in an understanding of who God is. Now, propaganda, what is propaganda? Propaganda is spoken lies. Every time there's been a genocide, it's been because of propaganda. Spoken lies lead to genocide. They get us what we do not want. All right, think about Macbeth. Denzel Washington just redid Macbeth. What's Macbeth about? It's about Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. They reach out for something that they think is going to bring them what they really want. And what they reach out and do, kill the king, they get exactly what they don't want. They reach out for something that leads them to misery. And Lady Macbeth commits suicide. And Macbeth himself, his miserable life ends in a miserable death. We are constantly fooled. We think, if I just get this, if I just get this. Basically, Macbeth sums up the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Because the first 11 chapters of the Bible is us reaching out and ending up with emptiness. Now, God is going to educate us on how we can reach out and get what we truly want. So God starts with educating Abraham and Sarah on who God is to give them superior character in their life so that we could choose, right? The image of God. So we could choose. The Bible's all about a choice. Make a choice between, as as the Bible says in Genesis chapter two, that humanity is made out of divine breath and dirt so that we could choose the divine breath, the image of God and not dirt, not dirt, right? So I set before you life and death. Choose life. Choose life. We have a choice. Macbeth made the wrong choice. Now, I want to throw this in here because often in churches, we talk about repentance. Here's what the ancient Hebrew word for repent means. Maybe you've heard this before. It means to return. Okay, we're pretty familiar with that. But what what are you returning to? Okay, I often heard it as being returning to God. But the ancient Hebrew word for return actually means to return to your highest self. Your highest self. Your highest self is your high character self. First, you know who God is. And now once you know who God is, God is not mean. He's not angry. He's not vengeful. All the many gods that existed back then, all of a sudden God comes down with the divine revelation that God is loving, patient, and kind. And now I'm called to reflect that. I'm called to reflect a high or a superior character. I'm called to return to my highest self, not my lowest self. That's how we get what we truly want. That is the journey that God has Abraham and Sarah on. Now, Joe Rogan 
and Richard Dawkins won evidence and a whole bunch of other people won evidence. Drew wants evidence, right? Where do we find this box of evidence? What is this evidence that we're looking for? Because I think we're looking in the wrong places. And we, we talk about apologetics. We talk about, well, you know, we have all these manuscripts. And yes, Jesus existed because these outside biblical sources said it. And yes, we do. And that is really, really, really good. But I would suggest to you that it's not the first place that the Bible points to to find the evidence. I would say the first place is superior character. Jesus says it so well in John 13, 35. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love, that's character stuff. That's evidence, right? If you are embracing the very character of God, if you're living that out, that is evidence, evidence that the teachings of the Bible are true. It starts with God, who is God, and now I do the what? I do the following of God by taking on, as Abraham and Sarah did through training, didn't happen overnight, right? They began to change. There's the evidence. It's not looking for evidence of other things first. It's looking first. The word faith means, evidence-based, is to look for a change in character as a result of God. Now, is there an abundance of evidence about that? And let me say, let me say this. Emet means being faithful to what works. Being faithful to what works. Does character work? Actually, we have an abundance of empirical evidence that this actually works. Harvard did a study. Long, longest study that we know of its kind. And we've talked about this many times. The quality of your relationships determine the quality of your life. You want to be happy and healthy and wealthy and on and on and on it goes. How do you have a great life? Is it your strong bank account? No, no. Harvard said no. Harvard said no. Is it your cholesterol level? No, no. Harvard said no. Harvard said it is the quality of your relationships that determine the quality of your life. And you can't have a high quality relationship without high quality of character because it's character and relation, honesty, integrity, goodness, loving kindness. Exodus 34, 6, God is patient, kind, merciful, right? Those things, that high character, the superior character that God is educating Abraham and Sarah in, that they would be reflectors of that. That is the very thing that gets you what you want according to a tremendous amount of data, especially the long-term study by Harvard. We have an abundance of evidence. That box is full. Now, emet also means amen. That's where we get the word amen from. I was brought up thinking that the word amen is, hey, let it be. Hey, let it be. Actually, no. The word amen comes from emet, and it means that's true. Oh, that's true. I should be patient. That's true. I should be kind. That's true. I should be careful to listen, like be slow to speak and quick to listen. Oh man, that's true. My wife will tell you that. Oh, that's really true. That's really true. That's the stuff that makes relationships go round and round and round. It's not money. Money doesn't make the world go round and round and become a better place. Actually, character, character. There is so much evidence. The Bible is packed from start to finish with nothing but evidence that what God introduced to us, first and foremost, to be people of superior character. Why did Abraham and Sarah change the world? Why are four billion people a part of their movement? It's because character works and there's nothing but a long string of evidence. Last point is this. Emet, the ancient Hebrew word means I take action. So many times, everybody, I think, you know what? A person of great faith, they have this faith that God's going to act in their situation. 
That's not what the word means. The word means that now I understand the character of God and I choose to be faithful to the character of God. So the word emet, a better translation of the word is not faith. It's to be faithful. It's what I'm loyal to, what I'm devoted to, what I'm clinging to, right? That is what the word means. What am I clinging to? Loving kindness. What am I clinging to? Integrity. What am I clinging to? Superior character. That's what I'm clinging to. And when I do, I'm running off a long history of evidence that that just works. We have so many studies that show that character works. It makes life better. Hands down, it makes it better. So the ancient Hebrew word emet, what it really means is a struggle between your lowest self and your highest self. Right? The character, the superior character of God, emet. Now that I understand it, now that it's been revealed by God, will I be devoted? Will I be, will I be faithful to that? And if I am, all the evidence shows that life is better. Like I want to be surrounded by people of really great faith because my life is going to be better than struggle. Now in Numbers chapter 14, you have the Israelites getting ready to go into this promised land after they were taken out of Egypt and slavery and life was just terrible. And they're right up on the edge of the land in Numbers chapter 14, but they had this battle between having faith, having a met and disbelieving, not having a met in the superior character of God. And so they said there was giants in the land. And those giants, basically, to sum it all up, were like shouting to them, you can't do this. You can't do this, right? We hear these voices saying, no, no, no. And so 10 of the spies that went into the land believed. They didn't believe in the superior character of God. They didn't believe in high character of God. They were given in to the giants in the land, screaming and shouting for low character, where Joshua and Caleb were saying, no, let's believe that the superior character of God is what will work and that will actually get me what I really want. But the giants were saying, do you hate somebody? Keep hating them. That'll get you what you want. Do you have a habit in your life that's not working? Keep doing that habit because that's going to get you what you want. And you always, like Macbeth, end up empty. And God is saying, choose, choose character, choose to forgive, choose love, choose honesty, choose justice, choose integrity. God is speaking in the midst of all those other voices of giants screaming at us. Now, let me give you a story from a little more modern times, even though it happened well over a hundred years ago. General Grant, who became the the Civil War hero, who also became a two-term president of the United States of America, during the lowest point of his life, he was in the army. He was discharged from the army. He goes back to St. Louis, where his wife is and where um, her family is. And his father-in-law is a huge proponent of slavery. Now, this was an extremely low point in Grant's life. He was dirt poor, dirt poor. He was miserable. Like he was selling firewood on the streets of St. Louis. And another fellow officer who knew him from years back saw him. And man, it, it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't going well for Grant. It was humiliating. It was terrible. But his father-in-law had given him a slave. And at the lowest possible point in his life, we see that Grant goes to the courthouse and he is going to set that slave free. Now everybody, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to, I want to put this in context for you. That slave was worth the price of a house 
grant, like the lowest possible time of any time that he's going to take advantage of doing something that's going to benefit him and ignoring justice, here is the time to do it. Because that slave was worth price. And in and, and, and the uh, History Channel's version of this, they do a great job with it. There's a three-part series on Grant. It's, I think it's in part one. You can also read it in the Ron Chernow book. It's, it, it's really awesome. The person in the court, the guy working the court says, hey, man, whoa, do you sure you want to do this? And people are like shaking their heads. I mean, you could sell this. Everybody knows how poor you are. You nothing, man. Are you stupid? Are you crazy? The giants are speaking. And Grant says, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm setting him free. I'm setting him free. That took superior character. While the giants were screaming, are you crazy? Grant chose superior character. Now listen, every guy I know, every man I know, they want to be that guy. That guy. It's in us. It's in that brain of ours. We want to be at the worst possible moment to do the greatest and most shining thing that we could ever do. We would hope and pray that we would be that guy. When all the voices are saying, don't be that guy, we want to stand up and do the high character and be that guy. I pray that all of us, men and women, would be that guy, be that girl, be that person of superior character. That's where the evidence is. That's the box of evidence everybody's looking for, and we have a ton of it. God's character works. I want to be surrounded by people. I hope you're a person of great faith. I hope that you'll choose to be a person of great emmet. I want to live next to people of great faith. I want to live with people of great faith. I want to drive next to people of great faith. I want to do business with people of great faith. Actually, I hope that everybody watching today, you won't just be a person of great faith. You'll actually go and clear up the misunderstanding. You'll share this with all your family, friends, and coworkers that this is what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word emet, that it means to be a person of superior faith because this is the only way we're going to really get what we want, and that is to live in a world of people of superior character. That's a great world to live in. Now, everybody, we're going to celebrate communion. So I want to encourage you to get some bread, get something to drink. This is really, really important today, especially today, because you know what? I battle between that lowest version of myself and the highest version of myself. And what communion is as a follower of Jesus Christ is I'm saying I am taking the very life of Jesus Christ inside of me that I wouldn't be externally motivated to choose high character, but not only will be externally motivated by the power of God's word, but his spirit, the spirit of Christ would get inside of me and help me to be internally motivated as I take the bread and I take the cup that the spirit of God would motivate me to be that person of superior character. And this is what we're praying for today. And this is why communion is so important. So please grab something to eat and drink and let's celebrate together. everybody. Here is why communion is so incredibly important. For many years in my life, I thought it was just something that we did in church. 
but the bread represents the body of Christ. The cup is the cup of Christ. Jesus, it is said about him in the Bible that he is the word. He is the word, the very word of God. So what we're doing here is we are consuming into our lives. So it's not just external pressure, external willpower, which there's so much evidence that that doesn't work. The Bible says there's coming a day when God's spirit, the spirit of Christ would actually be in us, like internally motivating us. So we take the word of Christ, we've heard the word, and now we consume it into our lives. And how do we learn? We learn by hearing the spoken word, right? Activating that prefrontal cortex, activating our brain. We hear the spoken word of God, and then we act upon the spoken word of God. As we take communion, the bread, the broken body of Christ, the character of Jesus Christ, who would put you and me before himself, the character of Christ, and we consume it. Christ, who would take the cup of his very life and pour it out for us. So in communion, what we are doing is consuming the very being of Jesus Christ, his truth, his character. And now his spirit is inside of me, as Ezekiel famously prophesies, that it will give us a new heart because his spirit has come inside of me. And so I'm acting that out. It's been spoken and now I I act upon it. So I'm going to pray a blessing over the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, and then let us eat and drink together. Almighty God, as we consume your word of living truth, Holy Spirit, come into our lives that we might experience your power to live the life that you have called us to live, that we might finally, finally, experience the joy of having what we truly want. In Christ's holy name, please bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. Amen. Let us eat and drink together.